Which matters more to you? Your reputation or your character? While the two are related, they can be really different things. Because reputation refers to your public persona, the way you come across to others. Character is who you are when no one's looking. Character is the real you. Now, a person of integrity, and we're talking about integrity this morning, a person of integrity is someone whose private life and public life are in alignment. They agree with one another. It seems that almost every week we witness the fall of a public figure who had once been held in high esteem but has been discovered to be living a double life. Uh, An example of it just this past week, Bill Cosby, whose funny, kind, loving Cliff Huxtable character led him to be called America's dad. Bill Cosby's been unmasked as a serial sexual predator and was found guilty this past week in a court of law and will probably end up spending the rest of his life in prison. And I I use that word unmasked. Um, I I chose it very carefully because because it means something. In the world of of, uh, ancient uh, Greek drama, there was a a word. The Greeks had a word for everything. There was a word uh, that described a person who stood on a stage wearing a mask playing a part, pretending to be someone they weren't. And that word was hypocrites, from which we get our word hypocrite. It means an actor, a pretender, a poser. Now the bottom line in this morning's message is really simple, and it's really straightforward. You can't be the me you want to be if you're living a lie. It is impossible. It's not going to happen. Now, to be sure, I want to be clear on this at the very beginning. To be sure, there will always be some small, unimportant, insignificant discrepancies between, for instance, our private thoughts and our public expressions. For instance, when you compliment someone out of kindness or in order to encourage them, rather than out of heartfelt enthusiasm for what they're wearing or what they just did, there's a discrepancy there. But you know, the motivation Uh, is not to live a double lie. It's not to pretend to be something that you're not. Your motivation is support and encouragement. And I'm not talking about that. It's a very, very different thing. I'm talking about living a lie. Psalm 101 was uh, probably written near the beginning of King David's reign. And it lays out David's ideals 
and it lays out David's intentions. And in doing so, I think it offers us all some practical instruction on how to live a life of integrity. I'll tell you, one of the, as you look at that psalm, one of the most striking features of Psalm 101 is its repeated use of two words, I will. Those words, I will, occur over and over again. I will sing of love and justice. I will sing praise. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. In the NIV 11 version, which I just read from a little while ago, there are at least 11 occurrences of the words, I will. And each one of those occurrences is a heartfelt promise made by David to himself and to God and to the people that he is going to lead to live and act with integrity. And I think that is the very first step that we need to take in order to develop the character and integrity that is an irreplaceable part of becoming the me that we want to be. You do it by making a wholehearted promise to God to live with integrity. And and you do that in advance. This is what David's doing at the very beginning of his reign. He's deciding in advance, this is what I'm going to do. He's deciding in advance, this is the person I'm going to be. He's deciding in advance, this is the kind of ruler that I intend to become. You decide in advance. Decide in advance that I will be careful to lead a blameless life. Decide in advance, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. What David is doing is putting a stake in the ground. He's deciding in advance. You don't make it up as you go along. You know, a number of uh, years ago, I I think it was back in September of 1982, uh, my wife Peg and I were uh, both doing residencies at the University of Virginia Medical Center. And, you know, it's challenging work and all this kind of stuff. We had the opportunity to uh, go to, um, to California to stay with my in laws. Josh and Ruth Jensen at Fallen Leaf Lake. It's just outside of South Lake Tahoe, if you've ever been there. Beautiful little lake. And, uh, you know, we'd been working in the hospital, and it's kind of stressful and everything. We were just so excited to, you know, be outdoors, and it's so beautiful at Fallen Leaf Lake and everything. We decided to take an all-day hike to this area. Now, we should have known better when we looked at the map, and it was called desolation wilderness. But we went, let's go for it, you know. And we decided to climb to the top of, of this you know, mountain, basically. We, we'd been told by some people that we met there were some beautiful lakes on the way and all this kind of stuff. So, so we, we climbed it. We, got, we started too late, probably. Um, we never made it to the top. We should have turned around earlier. Um, and when we did turn around to start heading back, I twisted my ankle on the way down. So, you know, I'm kind of hobbling along. I found a stick and I'm, you know, walking and all this kind of starting to get dark. 
and there's part of the trail that just kind of fell away, and we're inching along this cliff wall, and I'm saying to Peg, you know, just love you so much. We've had a great marriage, you know. <laughs> All of the, We finally, finally made it down, uh, you know, to Fallen Leaf Lake, and, and fortunately, um, Stanford University had this little, like, retreat center there and everything, so we made our way to that, and we phoned my in-laws, and they came and picked us up, and you know, my my father-in-law, who was a surgeon, looked at my ankle and he, he said, you know, I think it'd be okay if we, you know, wrap it. Why don't you, you know, take a, a, a bath? We'll wrap it in ice later on, give you some Tylenol and all this kind of stuff. And I went, that's great. So I'm um, sitting in the bathtub listening to the radio, September 1982. And on the radio, the announcer says, this just in... Uh, there have been a number of deaths reported. I think it was in Chicago because of people taking Tylenol. <laughs> and I went, oh no, I, you know. Anyway, that day I escaped death twice. It was, <laughs> it was really exciting. Um, but the reason I mentioned that story is it, it was fascinating the, the way um, Johnson & Johnson responded to that crisis. Because they just came out, they owned it. They said, we don't know what happened. But if it's something we've done, they pulled all the Tylenol off every shelf. And it wasn't until later that, you know, we learned that somebody had tampered with, with Tylenol and put poison in, in some of them and all that. But Johnson Johnson took uh, complete responsibility for it. And uh, later on, the CEO was, um, was interviewed and asked about, you know, gosh, how did you respond uh, so quickly to it? He said, uh, because we didn't have to think about it. We had an ethics policy in place. We just decided in advance we're going to do the right thing. And that's what I'm talking about today. By the way, that was a memorable trip because um, that same week we had gotten tickets uh, for this really cool concert at South Lake Tahoe. Uh, it was actually two different acts, and we were excited about both of them. One was The Temptations, the other was Bill Cosby. Now, it's really important to decide in advance to live with integrity. And this is what David does at the beginning of, of his uh, rule. Now, of course, our intentions... Our intentions, no matter how good, no matter how godly, no matter how heartfelt they are, on their own, they're not enough. What we have to do is, um, is take another step. And that's, that's why it's important to do what David describes next in Psalm 101. You develop habits that build character and reinforce integrity in your life. It's not just making the promise, but it's actually building habits in your life. Uh, it's obvious that, that King David has thought a lot about the things that contribute to living a life of integrity because actually he devotes most of Psalm 101 to describing them. And, and what are some of these things that for David he knows are going to build integrity into his life? One is to, to guard your heart by avoiding anything that will tempt you to evil. Listen to what he says. I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. He's going to guard his heart. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile. A couple of weeks ago, in a message that we looked at on uh, the importance of, of self-control, 
and becoming the, the me that, that I want to be. One of the things that I cited was a study that was done on people that, that measure high on, self, on the self-control scale. And one of the things, it was a surprising discovery about people who, who rate high on these uh, self-control scales is that they almost never have to exercise self-control. And why don't they have to exercise self-control? Do you remember why? Because they avoid places and situations where they're going to be tempted. You don't have to exercise self-control when you open the refrigerator if you don't have a chocolate cake inside. (laughs) Don't buy the cake. Guard your heart by avoiding anything that will tempt you to evil. I will not look with approval on anything that is vile, David says. Second thing he says is is to avoid arrogance and anger and self-righteousness and pride. Avoid arrogance, anger, self-righteousness. and, and pride. Uh, you may not think of, of that as being important to uh, living with integrity, but it really is. David says, whoever slanders their neighbor in secret, I will put to silence. David is not going to listen to gossip. Whoever has haughty eyes or a proud heart, I will not tolerate. You know, it's really dangerous to ex- expose ourselves to, um, to situations or to other people that tempt us to arrogance and pride and self-righteousness. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, I get together uh, on a pretty regular basis for, for breakfast with, with a couple of guys. And this past week, we, over breakfast, we were talking about um, something that we all discovered about ourselves, and and that is, we all discovered the spiritual danger of living to talk, listening to talk radio. Spiritual danger. You know, listening to to talk radio. One of the things we all discovered is it didn't make us better people. It doesn't build character. It doesn't make us more loving or caring or compassionate or understanding. You know what it does? It just gets us upset and angry. It divides people from one another. It reinforces pride and arrogance. And the real spiritual danger, it distracts us. It distracts us from Jesus' command and our clear calling to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. Not write off 50% of our neighbors because they disagree with us, but to love them with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Here's something else that David does. He he says, choose your friends wisely. And it's kind of related to the talk radio thing. You know, you really, we want to surround ourselves with godly influences. We want to surround ourselves with people that bring out the best in us. And so David says, my eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. The ones whose walk is blameless. 
will minister to me. David's talking about his administration. And he says, in my administration, I want to surround myself with godly people. People with integrity. Not people who cut corners. Not people that misrepresent the truth. The ones whose walk is blameless will minister to me. David said something else too, and this is, is so obvious, but, uh, but it's important that he says it. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Be honest, and don't, um, don't tolerate or entertain deception in other people. David says, no one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Well, those are just a, a few of, of the things that you know, David's talking about as, as he um, puts forward his intentions to live a life of integrity and the kinds of habits that he's going to put uh, into place. I did think of another one that he doesn't mention here, and part of the reason he doesn't mention it is because he hasn't learned it yet, but he will. While David doesn't mention it in Psalm 101, we know, because we know how the story turns out, that his life story is a cautionary tale that offers a, another really important strategy that if you want to live a life of integrity, this is a great idea. Remind yourself of the devastating consequences that come from moral failure. Think about it. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, 9, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. You know, that's one of the things about telling the truth all of the time. If you tell the truth all the time, you never have to worry about what you told people, and you don't have to have that great of a memory. You just have to remember the truth. But those who take crooked paths will be found out. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them. It's like true north. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Case in point, all of those entertainers, all of those politicians, all of those sports figures who came across as heroes but who, over time we discovered, were living lives that were a lie. The big idea in all of this is to put habits into place that will minimize our exposure to temptation while reinforcing the better angels of our nature, as, as Lincoln said. Habits that help us to become better people the people that we habitually hang out with, what we continuously um, pay attention to. You can't be the me that you want to be. And none of us can, can be the people who God created us to be without living a life of integrity. It is impossible. It's impossible. That being said, understand this, though. And we just have to be real. The Bible's real. I'm going to be real. Understand that living a life of integrity doesn't necessarily shield or protect us from false or unfair accusations. 
that won't necessarily protect us from being misunderstood by others. And I will give you a perfect biblical example of this. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus lived a life of integrity and moral perfection, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was sinless, and yet he was condemned for sedition and blasphemy and put to death, died on a a shameful death on a cross. If anyone was ever misunderstood, it was Jesus. What that means is that we can do our dead-level best to be people of character and to live a life of integrity, but that doesn't guarantee that you won't be misunderstood. And it doesn't guarantee that, you know, you might be falsely accused of stuff. And there are lots of explanations for that. I think one of them is that um, the people don't necessarily see us as we are. They see us maybe as they are. Or maybe we remind them of someone that hurt them. And they project that onto us and connect dots in ways that make sense to them but doesn't reflect the truth. People can misunderstand People can misinterpret what we do or what we say. And I'll tell you something, that if you're a person who is really trying to live a life of integrity, if you're a person for whom godly character is really important, when that happens, it is not only confusing, it is painful. And when, it, when that happens, what do you do? How do we respond when that happens? Well, I have a couple of suggestions. One is, I think it's really important first to look inside, ask ourselves, could there be some truth in that? Like David does in Psalm 139, Lord, search me and know me and point out if there is any unclean thing within me. Look inside to see if there's something that I could have said or done differently. But I think in the end, there are just going to be times when we're misunderstood. You ever been there? And when that happens, um, I'll I'll tell you, as as I was kind of working through this message... It reminded me of uh, of a poem written by this guy named uh, Kent Keith, and he originally entitled it uh, P- the "Paradoxical Commandments," um, but it's come to be called "Anyway." Was um, misattributed to uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. A lot of times you'll see this on the internet. It'll say Mother Teresa, and as best as I can tell, it's because. Um, Robert Schuller went to Calcutta to visit Mother Teresa one time and saw this poem on the wall, and it didn't say who wrote it, and so he assumed she did, and it went into a book, and suddenly it's Mother Teresa. But it was written, written by this guy 50 years ago when he was, this guy was in his 20s. Listen to what he says. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway.
If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. If you're successful, you'll win false friends and real enemies. Be successful anyway. The good that you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness will make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building might be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People really need help, but might attack you if you try to help them. Help people anyway. If you give the world the best you have, you may get kicked in the teeth, but give the world the best you have anyway. You know, if you think about the words that we close every one of these worship services with. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what's good. Return no one evil to, uh, for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. You can do all of that stuff, and you can still be misunderstood. Do it anyway. That is our calling. Living a life of integrity doesn't shield us or protect us from false or unfair accusations and uh, misunderstandings, but you know what? You know what? And this is really important too. It also doesn't mean that we will get it right all the time either. You can live a life of integrity. You can do your dead level best to be a person of character, and you're still going to mess up. And why is it? I'll tell you why, and it's really simple. We're fallen people living in a fallen world with other fallen people. And that means that we and they, the world in which we live, is never going to be perfect. See, in, when we talk about integrity and character, let's not confuse it with perfection. We can aspire to that, but we're always going to fall short. Scripture teaches this, and, and our personal experience confirms it. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Integrity and character, this side of heaven, does not equal perfection. And we see this again in, in King David. Despite King David's heartfelt intentions and despite his best efforts to protect his heart, you know what? He failed to live up to his own ideals. He'd promised God, I will conduct the affairs of my house with a blameless heart. But then he went on to fall into sin with his neighbor Bathsheba. And he conspired to have her husband, Uriah, killed in battle. And later on, he fails to discipline his 
sons in a godly way. And it ends up creating a national crisis that tore the kingdom of Israel apart. But even so, despite that imperfection, despite his falling short, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. I want you to think about that for a second. Here's this guy whose life um, just doesn't measure up to his good intentions and the promises that he's made to the Lord. But he's still called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. And, And I wonder, why is that? You know, I I actually think that that David um, is a model for us precisely because of his imperfection. His life, and especially his experience of moral failure, offers us a really powerful lesson, and it's this, and and this is really important. And here's something that, that we forget when it comes to thinking about character and integrity, but it's absolutely essential. You know, when you sin and and when you fall short, you acknowledge your sin and your shortcoming to God. That is integrity. That's integrity. That is what people of integrity do. They fess up when they mess up. They own it. They don't make excuses. They don't find somebody else to blame. They take responsibility. They pray, as David does in Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. See, David is asking God to do something for him that David can't do for himself. He can't make that stuff go away. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all of my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Listen to this. David says, for I know my transgressions and my sin. Look how he owns it. My sin is always before me. That's integrity. To look at your life and say, you know what? I'm a broken person. I made some bad choices. And I'm not going to pretend I didn't. I'm not going to paper over it. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm going to own it. And I'm going to ask for God's help. That's integrity. It's not perfection but it is integrity. See, Jesus is the only person who has ever lived a life of moral perfection. No one else has. He alone was a spotless lamb. He alone is the one that John the Baptist called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the only innocent 
holy, innocent person who has ever lived. And that's why his death on the cross is so important. Because God, this is kind of a theological thing, it's a doctrine of, of imputation. God takes Jesus' righteousness and, and attributes that to us, and God takes our sin and lays that on Jesus. And that's what it means to be justified. God looks at us and sees the perfection of Christ. It treats me just as if I'd never sinned. And that's why we who, like David, long to live a life of integrity, but who, like David, fail to do so, that's why we need a Savior. And every single person who's here today needs a Savior. Every single person. So today I want to invite you to recognize your need for Jesus Christ and truly keyword, truly accept him as your Savior and Lord. And what do I mean by truly? Uh, not with duplicity, not pretending, not play-acting, not wearing a mask, but truly accepting him in your heart. In your heart, not just in your head. Again, going back to that conversation I had with a couple of my buddies this past week, you know, we talked a lot about this. The difference between accepting, you know, uh, Christian beliefs, actually living your life in a way that demonstrates that they really matter. And not just that they matter here on Sunday morning, but they matter every day. In your heart, not just in your head. For real. Not pretend. That's integrity. That's integrity. Not just saying the words. Meaning them. Not just assenting to beliefs about God. But really trusting God with your life. No pretense, no play acting, no masks, no make believe, no more division between, you know, your public persona and who you are when no one's looking. Integrity. Integrity. Because you will never be the me that you want to be. And you will never be the person God created you to be if you are living a lie. It's got to be real. The world needs real. The church needs real. And you know what? If you're going to be the me that you want to be, you need real too.